Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, October 28th, we are studying Amos chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. What gives Amos the right to speak to Israel anyway? Who does this sheep herder from Tekoa think he is? The prophet answers questions like these in today's text. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and Crown Christian School in St. Francis, Minnesota. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, good. Good to be back. So, Pastor Dandy, uh, just bring us up to speed here as to where we are in the book of Amos. We're coming out of a weekend. We've, we've looked at chapters 1 and 2 extensively, and now we've turned that corner in the book of Amos. He's really getting into the meat of his prophecy against Israel. Help us get to where we are today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've been uh, going through the book here, and in chapters 1 and 2, uh, we've heard Amos talk about the oracles against the nations. Uh, you know, the, this this new surround Israel is is slowly been tightened around them. So uh, God has spoken his judgment against the, the sin and the iniquity of the nations. Uh, uh, they they have mistreated their fellow human beings uh, through through murder, through uh, uh, slavery of entire people groups, uh, all of these things. We, we see Aram has threshed Gilead, uh, which you know just has this kind of violent idea of uh, uh, coming into this this territory of God's people and, and literally threshing them. Uh, Philistia has sold entire populations to to the country of Edom. Uh, Tyre has done the same, uh, adding already to their vast riches. Um, Edom, Edom, uh, getting closer now to Israel has uh, pursued their brothers with the sword. They have killed pregnant women. Ammon, uh, around Israel, uh, has done the same with more violence, tearing infants out of mother's wombs. Is However uh, violently you, you think of things, that's probably the most violent image I can have. Uh, and then, then Moab has burned the bones of their dead kings uh, to, to produce wealth and advantages for themselves, right? Uh, and so uh, you see the, 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 all the nations around Israel being condemned for, for not valuing life, for their, their wholesale murder of other people, for uh, taking advantage of people in their most vulnerable estate. And as, as Amos is is proclaiming these these judgments from God against the nations. Uh, when you're when you're going through these these first nations here, uh, these six first uh, groups, uh, you, you you imagine that the the Israelites are are hearing these judgments against their enemies, uh, against these 
these uh, other nations and, and welcoming Amos's words with cheers. You, you almost can imagine him, uh, you know, being in front of a, maybe if you put it in a modern context, being in like a political rally and just getting the crowd all, all kind of riled up. And you can hear the people start to chant, uh, death to those nations, death to the Goyim, go get them, the Lord, go get them, Yahweh. Uh, this is going to be great. But then Amos upsets everything as shockingly he begins to speak an oracle against Judah and then against Israel. And the nations, they, they've hated their neighbors, they've treated them violently, uh, but Judah and Israel, they're actually judged uh, for an entirely different but, but equally wicked sin, and that's their idolatry. Uh, and we see God declaring against Judah that they've they've rejected the Torah, they've rejected God's word, they've embraced idols, and and for this sin uh, they've brought judgment upon themselves. But then, uh, as you hear that, and you know Israel and Judah they were on and off again enemies, sometimes allies. So uh, you can imagine that maybe they were kind of halfway cheering for this indictment against Israel, but all of a sudden you can imagine the mood slowly changing. As the longest of all of these oracles against uh, any nation comes with these scathing words of judgment against Israel. See, you know, all the sins of the nations, they end up being piled upon the Israelites. They do violence. They trample the poor. They worship idols. They cause others to sin. And, and God finally says to them, you should have known better. Judgment is upon you, Right? And so you, you're, you're getting to this point where we are today in the text, where, where Amos has gone through the oracles against the nations. He's done these, these eight prophecies against the nations around Israel and Judah, then Judah and Israel themselves. And when you get to the end, it's probably one of those things where, where you can almost imagine, you know, the, the people in the crowd start pounding their fists against their palms and picking up rocks and preparing to throw fruit uh, and rotten fruit at Amos. And uh, they're, they're, they're probably about to get pretty riled up at these words because what gives him the right? Uh, what gives him the right to stand up here and say these things about God's Israel, God's chosen people? Uh, and so where we get to our text today, we see that Amos is preparing uh, and he's going to ask a series of rhetorical questions uh, in order to defend his ministry, defend his prophetic office, uh, and and tell them, uh, well, well, what gives me the right to say these things? Why am I saying these things? Well, well, here's why, uh, and that that's what kind of leads us into our text today, at least. Right. Chapter 2 ends with those words, declares the Lord, right? And that's how Amos is preaching in, in chapter 2 ends. And mm -hmm. you're right, you can imagine the people of Israel hearing this and saying, well, hold on a second, Amos, back that up. Tell us yeah. why you are the one that gets to speak the word of the Lord, particularly because he's from the southern kingdom. He's from yeah. Judah. So how'd you get to come up here, Amos? How did you come up north what gives you the right to say this to us? And so verses 3 through 8 are really going to address that question. Amos is going to defend his ministry. And as you said, through this series of rhetorical questions leading to the climax in verses 7 and 8. So let's go ahead and, and take a look at that text and then, then begin to, to talk about it. So Amos 3, sure. verses 3 through 8. 
Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? There's the text before us, Pastor Dandy. So you get this, this start with these rhetorical questions, and there's, there's plenty that we can look at in these, these series of rhetorical questions you get in verses 3 through 6. One, the one thing that I guess I'll point us out to get us started is that it seems there's a, a progression to these questions. They start off innocently enough, you might say, but by the time you get to the end of verse 6, you see that the, the prophet's really driving somewhere. Um, help us start digging into these rhetorical questions. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you, you, you get the first rhetorical question, you know, it's it, do, do, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet, right? Or um, do two people go on a, a long journey together unless they've agreed to journey together, right? Uh, and so as you, as you go through, and by the way, the, the implied uh force behind all these rhetorical questions is that the the, the answer uh, is, you know, obvious, right? Uh, you know, you're not going to, you know, I'm not going to go on a long road trip with somebody I've never met and never really agreed to go on a trip with them, right? You know, this is, this is, that'd be kind of odd, kind of silly. I don't know the person. I can't, don't know if I can trust them, right? So, t- yeah, of course, two are going to walk together uh, only if they've agreed to, to go on this journey, Right. Uh, and and so that that first rhetorical question, uh, you know, kind of eases you in. Well, well, these things are going to go hand in hand. Something, two things are going to go together, and and they're going to have to work together, right? Uh, and then then he kind of ups the ante, uh, and he brings us uh, back with an image of uh, from the very beginning of the book of Amos, where he says, "Does a lion roar in the forest when there is no prey?" Does a young lion cry out from his den if he's taken nothing? And, you know, uh, there's, there's this kind of implied image uh, with lions is that, and, and kind of implied thinking with lions is that um, they're not going to just roar willy-nilly, right? A lion is going to roar when he's uh, either about to kill or has just killed, and a, a lion is going to roar after he's dragged his catch into the den is kind of this victory roar, right? Uh, and so you, you have this image back to the, the lion roaring. Well, does the lion roar for no purpose? Well, the implied answer is no. Uh, the, the lion roars because it's about to kill something, right? The lion roars is because it's, 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 uh, it's either just about to or has just killed a bit of prey, uh, and it's roaring in victory, right? Uh, and so a, a, a lion isn't just going to, you know, walk around roaring for the sake of roaring. A lion's going to roar to let you know, hey, I'm the lion, and I've done this cool thing. I've done this lion thing that I like to do by killing this bit of prey or this animal or whatever, right? Right, and right. Then, so 
Well, just if I can real quick, Pastor Dane, just yeah. to kind of make sure I'm following along with you here. So that, that first question is is a nice invitation to, you know, to come along with Amos even. Yeah. Do two walk yeah. together unless they have agreed to meet? It's like Amos is saying, all right, come on with me on this journey. We're we're going to walk down this this lane. It, yeah. and it's a very nice invitation. But but yeah. pretty quickly, again, he's, he's turning the tables on them because he brings up the lion, which is even in, in the midst of nature. And I think that's, that's one thing that we should also point out in these, these at least verses four and five, is that you get these uh, images from, from God's creation to teach mm-hmm. you something about the creator. But, but so even in creation, right, a lion, to, to hear a lion roar is no small thing and is something that's going to make you tremble. Yeah. And as you pointed out, within the context of the book of Amos, we've already heard who is the lion who's roaring. And yeah. it is the Lord who's roaring from Zion so that the pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Mount Carmel withers, right? So mm-hmm. so Amos has invited you to take this walk with him, but he quickly turns the tables and, and lets you know, he, I'm speaking for a reason, and that mm-hmm. reason is that you might hear the Lord's word of of judgment, ultimately, is what we're going to see. So we've got, yeah. the, we've got the lion in verse 4. And then, then he, he moves on in verse 5 to a, the matter of a, a trap. Uh, go ahead, Pastor yeah. Danny. Yeah, and so, and if you notice this, um, that these are going to get a little bit more intense, right? Uh, mm. um, and, and there's going to be, uh, you know, you have, the, you have the two walking together, that's one thing. But for the rest of them, there's going to be this implied victim, Right. Um, there's going to be the, the animal that the lion kills, right? Uh, there's prey. He's going to eat it, right? Uh, and then, then you get to the snare. You get to the trap, right? Does a fur, bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing, right? Uh, and you, you think of Amos being this uh, sheep breeder from Tekoa. You know, he, he's probably experienced all these things or, or at least, you know, dealt with these things at some point in his life of, uh, you know, I, I don't want to know, I guess call it ranching um, or what we would call ranching, I guess. Uh, but, uh, he, you know, the lion's going to, to cry out because it's, it's about to, there's about to be a victim. And the same thing, you know, snares just don't uh, snap up into the, snap, you know, it's thinking of maybe a mouse trap. You know, if you set a mouse trap in your garage, um, and you, you're, you're working outside, and you hear that thing go flap, the first thing you're going to think is there's a mouse in the trap, right? Uh, and that's kind of the same image you, you get from uh, the, the bird falling into the snare, is that uh, the reason the trap is sprung is because there is a victim in the trap. It's not just going to pop out over on its own, especially something as simple as a snare. Uh, it's not going to be a trap that springs without having the implied victim in there. And so you get from this this point where, okay, come along with me on this journey. Remember, there's a lion here about to take his prey. Uh, and then uh, uh, there's, a, there's an animal about to be caught up in a trap. Uh, and Amos is kind of slowly zeroing in saying, you know, there is something about to happen that God is going to do this 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 work, uh, and it's not going to be uh, uh, you know you're, you're not going to come out of this scot free. Uh, maybe is the the best way of thinking of it. Um, the fowl has fallen into the trap. The the 
the prey has fallen into the hands of the lion. And then finally you get the last image here. Well, the second to last image. We'll, we'll deal with the second half of verse 6 maybe in a little bit. But uh, the last image is, is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid, right? Uh, if, you, if you're out in the field, right, and you think about maybe ancient warfare, like if they're out in the field and they're blowing the trumpets, that can mean a number of things. That can mean uh, uh, we're going to send the chariots in the charge, we're going to retreat, uh, we're going to send in the reserve, right? The, these, these trumpet blows out in the field could, can mean a number of things. But when the trumpet blows in the city, uh, that, that gives you the image that the people are going to fear because the trumpet's been blown because the enemy is advancing. He, the, the enemy army is creeping up on the city. Uh, they are about to surround us. They are about to lay siege, and it's going to be rough for us, right? Uh, and, and you get these images of, of ancient sieges and ancient warfare on these, these, these walled cities of the, the Iron Age and Bronze Age and all these things, and, and you, you get this and you think about this. I mean, it's not pleasant for the inhabitants of the city to be under siege, uh, they're, they're, they're usually filled with uh, starvation and hunger. Uh, sieges are usually um, not um, not won by you know, military maneuvers and these things. They're usually won by attrition, uh, that the people are so starved and hungry within the city walls at some point that they have no other choice but to surrender, right? Uh, and so when you hear the trumpet blow when you are in the city walls, that means the enemy is there. The enemy is at the gate, um, and we we are in it for the long haul, right? Uh, and so either the enemy is going to bust into the city gates and, and bring destruction into our, into our walled city, or we're going to be stuck here in this long protracted siege, and it's, it's going to be fairly unpleasant for us, right? Um, but you... you you have these kind of signs that all kind of go together. The, well, the, the snare springs because the bird is in it. The trumpet is blown because the enemy is there. The lion roars because there is prey, right? Uh, and uh, the, the scary thing about this for the people that they should be, should be wondering is, well, is he saying that, that the enemy that is coming is the Lord, um, that God is coming in judgment, uh, and that that this should have this uh, this result of causing the people to to uh, fear the Lord, right? Uh, um, and hopefully fear the Lord that in a way that brings repentance, uh, but to fear the Lord nonetheless. Uh, and so. These, these kind of cause and effect uh, rhetorical questions, they, they work on a number of levels. Um, uh, and they do so by answering the questions of why. Uh, first, uh, the why of Amos' words of judgment, right? Why are you saying these things, Amos? And then second, the why of the Lord's anger against Israel. Because God, God's not acting unprovoked. You know, he, he has already revealed his oracle against Israel. Uh, Israel's rejected his covenant. Israel has abandoned the right worship the Lord for our idolatry. Uh, they were chosen by God, but they were unfaithful and have brought judgment upon themselves, right? Uh, and so 
what gives you the right to talk to God's chosen people this way? Well, first, you know, you have to deal with, well, we're God's chosen people. Uh, and, and the reality is, yes, you are. But you have violated the covenant with the Lord. You have rejected the Lord your God, and that puts you under his judgment. And the Lord, but and this is the this is the thing that always we have to consider when we read the prophets, is that when the Lord is declaring these words of judgment, He's doing so with mercy, right? Uh, the the Lord could very easily just come into Israel and bring destruction with no warning. He he could have very well done that. He would have been in the right. They had violated the covenant, um, uh, and he could have very well not sent Amos to do this. And yet the Lord is merciful, and in his mercy he desires to warn Israel against his wrath. And so that brings us to the second why. why what gives Amos the right? What, what causes Amos to speak? Well, Amos speaks and Amos writes because these are the words of the Lord. And his office as a prophet compels him to speak. He cannot not speak. Um, you know, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit to the uh, to the last verse um, uh, where it says, "The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy?" Um, when the Lord gives His word, uh, He will not let it be silent upon the earth. And when the Lord gives His word, He will He will not uh, let it be silenced uh, or or shut out. He He will let it be heard by those who need to hear it. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Pastor Apple? Well, yeah. Let me let me come back to a couple of things you, you were saying when you were you're talking about the uh, the first half of verse six, the trumpet blown in a city. Are you a are you a fan of the Lord of the Rings, Pastor Dandy? I am. Okay. So so if and, and hopefully hopefully this isn't lost on on too many, right? But and I'm picturing particularly the movies, right? The, in the two yeah. towers, and in and in the Return of the King, both you've got these very climactic battle scenes. Yeah, and what announces, steps, yeah. yeah, what announces the that the enemy is there are the sound of trumpets, and you get this dramatic scene where someone looks over the wall, and there is the army, right? Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the image you've got in verse six. the The other thing, as as you're going through these rhetorical questions, I'm I'm just trying, I'm still trying to kind of keep it together in a in a progression, mm-hmm. and, and so, so you know. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? So, so Amos or, or the Lord, right? Come with me on this journey. Here we go, and we go walking. And the first thing we see is a lion roaring in the forest because there's prey there. And mm-hmm. then that lion roars again because he's taken the prey. Yeah. And so, and so I'm, I'm I'm picturing this in my mind, trying to to figure out what's the move that Amos is making here? And so this is, this is what I'm, I'm trying to hold together, right? He's, the first thing that, that you see on this journey with Amos is you see what you might call a natural event, right? Yeah. I'm walking in a forest with somebody else. I see a lion take a prey. Oh, that's a, a natural thing to happen, right? The lion did it on purpose, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm not surprised to see that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. The next thing I see, though, is I see a bird falling into a snare and then that snare springing up and catching it. And, yeah. and now the second thing that I've seen, well, there's intention behind this. And, and again, yeah. there was intention behind the lion, but but a snare being set, a trap being set. This this didn't just happen. Someone someone planned for that to happen. And so the the element of, of fear is is coming along with the snare. And then you get to verse six, and now 
we're not just out in the woods walking. Now we're inside the city. And the trumpet blows, and the enemy is here. And I mean, it's just that it's a very similar thing. Amos is just a masterful preacher, I guess, is the point that I'm, I'm getting at and marveling at. Is Man, that he's a master the way of rhetoric here. <laughs> he really is. I mean, just to, to see how he... We've already marveled at this a little bit in chapters 1 and 2, how he drew this net around the people of Israel. He's tightened it, and now he's got them. And mm-hmm. now, even as he's telling them, this is this is why I'm preaching to you, and this is why I have the authority to preach to you, he's still doing the same thing. And, and so, I mean, it's just it's just a, a wonderful thing to see how he how he does this before he he comes and and I I want to we've only got about 2 minutes left on this side of the break pastor Danny so I want to want to save this question for the other side as to the that second half of verse 6 but but what he's doing is he's identifying that that the Lord is behind this and I I think that ultimately when we think about those two why questions that that's where Amos has to to bring the answer to mm-hmm. why is this happening because of the Lord and his word. And why is Amos here? Because of the Lord and his word. Uh, about a minute and a half to respond to that before we take the break, Pastor Dandy. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and yeah, does disaster, and this is, I'll read the second half of verse six, because it really is kind of the heart of it all. It's all zeroing in here for the series of questions. It says, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And that's the thing, right? Uh, you know, uh, if if misfortune were to befall the Israelites, which I think they're living in a time where where people are are proclaiming no harm's going to come to us. Uh, look how great things are. They're they're in a time of economic prosperity. Things are going really well for Israel. If all of that were to be pulled out from underneath them, I think there would be a temptation for them to say that. Uh, oh, this is this has been a severe injustice. This has been a. Uh, um, uh, uh, or, or, you know, to, to blame it on the devil. This has been a work of the devil. Uh, God had nothing to do with this, right? Uh, uh, God wasn't mad at us. God wasn't acting in judgment against us. But here specifically, God says, nope, it's me. Uh, I've done it. Uh, and, and that's actually, um, uh, it's, it's, it's unsettling, right? Uh, it's, yeah. It's 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 frightening and scary to to think that we could be fall fall under the wrath of God, um, uh, uh, because we we especially in our American context we we don't like to think of things in that term. Uh, yeah. So ways. if you, Pastor Dandy, if if you are unsettled, then we're going to invite you to come back <laughs> on the other <laughs> side of the break. If this if this unsettles <laughs> you, and it probably should, please stick yeah. around with us on the other side of the break. We'll we'll be right back. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, October 28th. 
We're looking at Amos chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, with Pastor Jacob Dandy of Zion Lutheran Church and Crown Christian School in St. Francis, Minnesota. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we'd, we'd left with a bit of a, a cliffhanger, an unsettling one, and it, it deals with that last half of verse 6, this sixth rhetorical question the prophet asks in this, in this series. And the question, again, is, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Now, the, the previous five rhetorical questions that we saw, the answer is, is pretty obvious, right? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Well, no, of course they've agreed to meet. You know, does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Well, no, he's not going to roar for no reason, etc. But when you get to this question, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Now, maybe, maybe we're wondering a little bit. What was the cause of the disaster? Was it the Lord? Was it something else? Pastor Danny, help us to, to wrestle with this question more. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that God is really telling the people of Israel that, no, this is from me. Um, I, I don't want you to have any illusions that this is a fluke or, or this is some other cause or some other nefarious work at, at play, but um, this, this is actually the result of my judgment against your sin. Uh, and and we got to be very careful with that, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, when we're, we're dealing with subjects like uh, the wrath of God, when when disaster comes upon cities, you know, you you think about um, you know hurricanes hitting great big cities, you know, off our coast in the United States, and you, then you you'll get some preacher out there that wants to say, well, this is because of this specific sin. You know, uh, New Orleans got uh, hit by the hurricane because they have riverboat gambling or, 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 or what have you. And I think we need to be very careful not to do something like that. Um, but here in, in the specific case of the people of Israel, and then and if you want to go very broad, in the case of maybe disaster at, at, uh, in general, uh, you see, you see that uh, that these things happen um, under God's sovereignty and under God's control. Um, and so we, we we have this this question: Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Um, and this this really tells us quite a bit about God's motive here. Um, he he's not doing this to be mean. He he and um, uh, he, he's he's doing it according to his justice, um, and he's doing this according to uh, um, his his overall judgment against sin. Uh, but we we also have to read this with the understanding of what God has already told us in the scriptures uh, about what He desires, uh, and we we know that uh, God's desire is for the justification of all believers. God's desire is. Uh, um, that those might come to him and be saved, right? Um, that, that we would be drawn into Christ through his word, through his gifts. Uh, and so we, we have kind of two categories when we talk about doctrine, right? Um, and uh, when we talk about maybe some dogmatic ways of kind of describing this. And we, we have the opus, opus alienum and the opus propium, or pro. Priam, my, my Latin's terrible, so forgive me. Uh, but that would be the, the alien work of God and the proper work of God. Um, and, and as we see God 
acting in judgment, um, God bringing calamity upon the people of Israel. Uh, we, we have the city being thrown into uh, this, this state of disaster. We, we, we see that as the alien work of God, um, or this, this work that we, we don't always have an answer of the immediate why when we're looking at it from our perspective, right? Uh, that, uh, that God has not revealed to us each and every time why this or that disaster befalls us. Uh, and so we ascribe that to the alien work of God, and then we really see, as God does this alien work, it, it's to drive sinners to repentance, right? Um, it, is, it is to drive sinners uh, to him, right? Uh, and so when God acts in judgment, when God acts in, in punishment against the people of Israel, the entire uh, intended result is to, to, to drive Israel into fear, love, and trusting in God above all things. It's to um, drive Israel into trusting in his promise to, to send a Savior into the world, uh, uh, and, and, and really to, to send them into the, the, the arms of the Christ, and that, that's what brings us to the proper work of God, uh, and that is uh, uh, drawing them into the forgiveness of the gospel of salvation. You see, that, that alien work of God should always drive us to the proper. God's declaration of his divine wrath and judgment is meant to drive his people to faithful repentance. Um, uh, you remember Blockbuster Video? That was a thing. It's been a while since I've seen that, Pastor Dandy. But yes, I do recall that. And if we've got any younger listeners, Blockbuster Video was a place you could go and and rent a a VHS. I mean, man, we're we're really getting old here, Pastor Dandy. VHS uh, originally, then DVDs. Yeah. Now they're mostly gone, replaced by Netflix. But yes, I do remember Blockbuster Video. Yeah. Uh, And and. There was a holdout blockbuster video in St. Louis when when I was at seminary, and we actually uh, we had a mutual friend at seminary, uh, uh, Jim, uh, and we shouldn't have done this, but we we went out in the middle of one of St. Louis's kind of more interesting storms, and uh, you know it, it it was tornado weather. Some of the sirens were going off, but we were bored. Um, uh, I think uh, it was kind of in that place at the beginning of a of a quarter there, and there 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 wasn't a whole lot of studying that was absolutely necessary at the moment. So we said we're going to go to Blockbuster and rent a movie. Uh, this is a don't try this at home story, folks. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we we go to Blockbuster. We're 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 browsing through the movies, uh, and then then all of a sudden uh, a gust of wind picks up and the the, the doors to the video store open, um, and you know all the snacks and, and things that are kind of laid out at the entryway of the blockbuster are are kind of just blowing around, right? Uh, and and you think, oh man, there must be a tornado outside, right? Your 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 mind starts going to all these places, um, and and Jim looks to me immediately, and he just goes, repent, right? Um, he, he just says immediately, uh, uh, you know, so we, we have this, uh, you know, we, we think, okay, we're about to be in a blockbuster video, uh, one of these little cheap storefront stores, uh, in the middle of a tornado. And the first thing he says is repent, right? Um, and, and, and there's, there's some, there's some truth to that, you know, and it's kind of a funny story. There was no tornado. We got home fine. We, we, we passed the seminary and, uh, all that stuff, right? Uh, and so, you know, we are here today to tell the story. 
but uh, there there is a reality there that that when these these kind of alien things from God happen that we cannot describe, we do not know the motivation, we don't know why God is doing it. The reaction of the faithful should be to repent and believe in the gospel. There are things that God does that seem to us to be evil and terrible, but we know through the gospel of Jesus that God is good. We know that he has sent his son to die for our forgiveness. And so we do not know why God allows evil to happen. Uh, Now, the Israelites uh, do in this circumstance because God's telling them. He's giving them the specific sins that he's telling them to repent of. But we have other cases in Scripture, for example, Job, where he had no clue, right? But the response should always be the same. The response to evil, the the response to disaster should be the same, and that is faith and repentance, repentance and faith in the God who forgives sins, right? Um, Right. that, That they should know the God of Israel well enough to know that he is forgiving. Uh, uh, They should know the God of Israel well enough that when he proclaims these words of wrath, um, that they should look to him and trust that he forgives. They should repent of this sin and trust in his mercy. Uh, You know, we we have a contemporary of Amos. Uh, You know, around the same time, we have have, uh, Jonah. Uh, and and the one of the interesting things about Jonah is that while Amos is preaching disaster to the people of Israel, Jonah is preaching to the people of Nineveh, that the this this great city of the Assyrian Empire. Uh and Jonah comes in and he uh he comes in and the only words that we see that he preaches to the Ninevites is uh in forty days Nineveh will be destroyed. Mm. Uh and what is the response of the Ninevites? It is repentance. It's it's saying, who knows? If we turn from our sin now, maybe God will be merciful. Uh, and and who would know even better than Israel, or better than Nineveh, about the um, merciful nature of God than Israel, the ones who have been chosen, the ones who have been called out of the nations of the world to receive their uh, to receive the forgiveness of their God, uh, right. to live in the forgiveness of their God. And so that's right. that's. That's we see a lot of God's motivation placed here in three uh, six b, as as God says, yeah, this is coming from me. Um, right, and and we shouldn't we shouldn't miss that. So so to 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 tag on with some of the things you were saying there, we we do want to be careful today as to how we take this and apply it specifically. Yeah. Right, because unlike Amos you and I have not stood in the counsel of God where he has revealed his secret, telling us what he's about to do, yeah, other than absolutely. what we know from his word, right? If, if we want to stand in the counsel of, of God and preach his word today as pastors, we do that having listened to his scriptures and then proclaiming them faithfully. So, so when it comes to the matter of has the Lord sent this disaster upon this city today? We need to take great care as to, to how we proclaim that, and, and we would not proclaim it in the same way that Amos proclaims it here in Amos chapter 3. That would be, yeah, we, that would be folly there, yeah. That would be. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that would be going too far. But yeah. we, would, we would proclaim it in the sense that, that you've directed us toward, which is the same sense that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 13, where, where people come to him and ask him about 
a certain time when when Pilate mingled the blood of of some Judeans with their sacrifices, and and Jesus says, "Do you think that they were worse sinners than everybody else because it happened to them?" He says, "No, I tell you, unless you repent, right, this this will happen to you." So so we do look at disaster today, and we proclaim it as as God driving us to repentance, regardless of, of whether or not he intended it as a specific judgment for a specific sin, right? We don't know that, but we do know that he intends for us to repent. And so when we see disaster befall us or befall anyone, the response of the faithful, as you, as you said several times, the response of the faithful is repentance. And, and I think that helps tie together what you were saying, too, about God's alien work, that is his foreign work, the work that mm-hmm. he does not of his proper nature, right? That's opposed to his, as his proper work. And, yeah. and you said, let me, let me see if I can find the note. You, you said in God's alien work, he doesn't give us the answer as to the why. And I yeah. think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, because we really like to know why. And we think, we think that there will be comfort found in knowing the why. But the reality is, is that's not where the comfort is to be found. The comfort is to be found not in knowing the why of God's alien work. It's to be found in trusting the promises that are found in his proper work. That's mm-hmm. where the comfort is to be found. Yeah, it's, and it's so that who. that's what God's doing. Exactly. It's the who, not the why. The, the, and that's, that's what you pointed out so well for us, is that when we see God doing his alien work, we, we have to cling to the who that we see in his proper work, which is Christ Jesus who has died and risen for us. And, and I think that's, that's the key to, to holding this together as we, as we see it here in, in Amos 3, verse 6b, this matter of disaster coming upon the city that the Lord is doing. Why is he doing it? Because he wants his people to repent. And, and I, think, I think you were saying, I can't remember if you were saying on this half or the other, the other half, but the fact that, that God is, is speaking to Israel is, is such a, an important thing to recognize. And we, we pointed this out on a previous episode. But the fact that the Lord still speaks means that he wants mercy. As you said, he could have wiped out Israel without any warning, but he speaks to them so that they would repent and believe. Yeah. And, and he does that. He does that speaking through his servants, the prophets. And, and that's where Amos takes us in verses 7 and 8. And I, I'm sure, Pastor Danny, we could, we could dwell on, on 6b for a while but we've got just over 10 minutes left here, and I want to make sure we, we hit on verses 7 and 8. When the Lord wants to speak to his people, he speaks through his servants, the prophets. Mm-hmm. And that's why Amos is there. This is Amos's defense of his ministry. Take us through verses 7 and 8, Pastor Dandy. Yeah, so I'll, and I'll just read through them again just so we can keep them fresh. But it says, For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Right? Uh, And so we we see uh, Amos kind of bringing us once again back to chapter 1, verse 2. The lion has roared, God must spoke, uh, God has spoken, and so the prophet must speak. And and we have a couple of things here uh, within these verses that are pretty significant. Um, 
first of all, that the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets, right? Um, and so we and we see God kind of saying that that all that we need to know about what he does is delivered to us in his word. Now, that, that doesn't mean, once again, that he answers the why of his alien work all the time, uh, but we know, we know the, the truest and most important things about God through what he has revealed to us in the scriptures, right? But then, you know, we come back around to the, the, the lion once again roars, right? Chapter 1, verse 2, this, 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 this earth-shattering loud roar that, that must instill fear, right? And, and so Amos must speak, God, God has given his will. He is he has given Amos these words to speak to his people Israel, and and, and woe to Amos if he doesn't, right? Um, and that that really kind of brings us to um, the why of Amos's speaking. Well, God asked him to. I mean, God told him to. He and he has a call to this prophetic office from God, and he has to do what he's doing. Uh, woe to him if he doesn't. You know, we we often see uh, the servants of the Lord uh, in the scriptures having to defend their ministry. Um, we, we see this with with Saint Paul as he uh, both in Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and Galatians. Paul has to defend his apostleship. Right. Um, uh, we we actually even see this with Jesus constantly. You know, the Lord himself having to defend his authority to forgive sins, his, his authority to speak uh, in the temple, um, his, uh, his authority uh, to, to do the things that he does in the office of the Christ, right? Uh, because there will always be people who receive the word of God um, uh, uh, outside of faith. Or, or there will always be the people who receive the word of God, and it, it will wound their sinful flesh, and the sinful flesh will rage against it. Right? Um, there are times when you know, and and you probably live in this uh, as a pastor, where every pastor in Christ, at a certain point of time, has to say something very uncomfortable, right? Um, Either, either to uh, an individual in the congregation who has fallen into some sort of sin, or or something that involves maybe a practice within the congregation that that isn't going well, um, or going according to plan. Uh, you know, we, we all have those moments, uh, and and you know, I think oftentimes people receive that thinking that oh, this is the pastor just being strict, or this is just the pastor's opinion. And there are certainly times where where that that may happen, but um, a pastor's authority, a pastor's office, what a pastor preaches and teaches from the congregation, always flows from the sacred word of God. You know, woe to Amos if he doesn't speak these words that God has given him to speak, and woe to the pastor who does not preach God's word. You know, if if Amos doesn't speak the word of the Lord, uh, uh, you know uh, how <laughs> how terrible it would be for God's people, right? Um, uh, if the pastor does not preach the scriptures, even the ones that are hard for us to hear, um, you know, you know, I would hate. You know, I I had a uh, 
supervisor of field work during seminary. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I was, I was allowed to do the readings from time to time on Sunday morning at field work. And, uh, one of the leading readings was phenomenally, phenomenally just long, right? Uh, you know, sometimes the lectionary readings get long and I being a very nervous seminarian, uh, having not read in front of people as much as, you know, I, I have now at this point in my life, just kind of ask, hey, can, can we shorten this up a bit? And he looked at me and said, oh, sure, if you want to deprive, de- deprive God's people of his word, right? You know, and that, that's always kind of stuck with me, right? You know, what what is the thing that brings life to the people? What is it that brings and breathes faith into the church? What is it that truly does cause uh, faithful repentance, but it's the word of God spoken into our ears. As it says in um, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing even the word of Christ. So that means that pastors have to preach the full counsel of law. Amos has to preach this uh, terribly uncomfortable message to the people of Israel. You know, um, and I, and my image of Amos speaking these words um, is probably, you know, uh, as a bold confessor, right? But, you know, if I were to eisegese this word, or I do eisegesis on this text and put myself into the place of Amos and, and all of these things, I'd probably be squeaking my way through it the entire time. They'd probably have to ask me to speak up. Uh, uh, and yet, uh, servants of God don't get to avoid preaching the word of God. Uh, we, we have to preach the law and all of its unpre- uh, unpleasantness. We don't get to avoid it. And yet we know that the preaching of the law is what drives sinners to repentance. It's what drives uh, 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 us into the arms and the comfort of the gospel. And, you know, the gospel with no law is no gospel at all. Hmm. And so pastors will always have to preach the full counsel of God's word. Uh, right. Amos has to speak these words. He, there, he has no choice, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. According to his and office, it, he must do it. Well, and I think it's it's quite telling. Notice how how Amos sticks with this matter of rhetorical questions, right? Mm-hmm. In verse eight, he's got two more rhetorical questions. And it might be easy to miss it, but but you get the the matter of the Lord. This is the last rhetorical question he asks here in verse eight. The mm-hmm. Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He's answering that question right now by by prophesying. He's got to do this. But I think the the first half of verse eight is another example where you you see the Lord's motives and yeah. the Lord's mercy in all of this. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? On this this journey that Amos has invited the people to walk with him in verse three, we've got the roaring lion. Now we know who the roaring lion is. It's the Lord Yahweh himself who's roaring. Amos is preaching to the people so that they would fear the Lord, rightly understood in all of its its fullness, that to fear the Lord is to recognize who he is, who you are, recognize that that he rightly can judge you, and, and to to show him the utmost respect and, and trust, knowing that, that he's here, as we've said, He's here in the person of Christ Jesus to to bring salvation ultimately, and so this these rhetorical questions really help tie this whole whole text together. Pastor Danny, we've got just over two minutes left here on the morning. Wrap this up for us. We've talked a lot about a lot today. Help us to to tie it all together. 
Yeah, this is just a, a phenomenally rich text. As as we we look at it, we see see Amos uh, um, really driving home that that God is going to act out in judgment against the people of Israel. Uh, he has already told them why. He's already told them of their sin, uh, and and we we go through this progression, and it finally brings us to the point that the Lord is doing this. Do not. Be confused. This is God's action. And yet in the midst of all of this, you, you see God's mercy peering through. You see the desire of the heart of the Lord made clear that, that God desires that his people fear him. He desires faithful repentance from the people of Israel. He, he wants them to turn from their sin, avert this disaster, uh, and and to trust in the mercy of God, uh, to to say, who knows? Maybe the Lord may be merciful, um, as as the people of Nineveh, unrighteous nations as they were, Nineveh said, and and were averted and saved from disaster. So should the people of Israel even more say, we know that the Lord is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love that there is forgiveness in our God. Um, and that forgiveness is is completely played out as we stand back and, and look at this text here from um, some, you know, 3,700 or 2,700 years later, uh, looking at this text and seeing the fullness of God's revelation in Christ Jesus, where Christ indeed has come into the world to forgive us poor sinners, that uh, as we live in a world where there is obvious evil, there is obvious uh, uh, judgment against sin, there, there are, there's, there's death, there's disaster, there's tragedies that befall each and every one of us in this world, we know that Christ stands victorious over all things, that Christ has died for sinners, that we have been baptized into Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. All the work of Jesus on the cross has been declared and given to those who hold to him in faith. And we know that this very heart of God is, is to forgive sins, to declare sinners, right, sinners righteous, and to bring us into everlasting life in the name of our dear Savior Jesus. Pastor Jacob Dandy is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and Crown Christian School in St. Francis, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Amos chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Pastor Dandy, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you, Tim. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for studying with us this morning. Talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>